Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, our souls inspire and enlighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, well, then nothing else matters. So be with us this day. We pray in the name of your beloved. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes to us from the gospel according to John. Hear now God's holy word for you, for us, this day. When the two days were over, Jesus went from that place to Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, since they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the festival, for they too had gone to the festival. Then he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover. And they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay a mass of debilitated people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And in that place was a man who had been debilitated for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had been waiting quite a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The debilitated man answered him, Sir, I don't have anyone who could put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Whenever I'm going there, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. And right away the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, 
you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This Lent, we here at First Pres are asking a basic yet fundamental question of faith. Why Jesus? Why follow Jesus? Why worship Jesus? Why confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Why Jesus? When I conceived of this series, I had two primary groups of people in mind. First, those of you who might be asking yourselves this question for the very first time. Maybe you have some sense of who Jesus is, but that's about it. And you're here today because something about him has piqued your interest and you genuinely want to know why this guy? What about him brings people together and also tears people apart? What makes him so special? Why is he worth knowing, worth considering, worth following? Why Jesus? If that's you, welcome. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. I imagine doing so took a great deal of courage and even some foolishness on your part, but I am glad that you are here. My hope is that you find some hopeful answers to your holy questions. Now the second set of people this series is for are those who already know Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus. You already know why the birth of some Jewish boy in Bethlehem over two millennia ago is significant. You already know the happy ending of Easter. You already know that Jesus is, well, God. But knowing isn't the same thing as understanding, believing, and embodying that sacred truth. And you're here today because you don't take this whole discipleship thing lightly. And you want to remember why you made the decision to follow, worship, and love Jesus in the first place. If that is you, welcome. Thank you for staying in the conversation. I imagine doing so has taken a good deal of faith and persistence on your part. But I am glad that you are here. My hope is that you don't rest, or rather that you don't fall asleep on what you think you know but that you keep asking this sacred question over and over and over again. Why? Because regardless of what group you are in, regardless of if this is your first time asking this question or your hundredth, I believe that the answer you land on will have the power to stop you in your tracks, disrupt everything you believe about the heavens and the earth, and therefore change the very course of your life. At least it should. After all, as we discussed last week, Jesus is the son of the living God, which means he isn't limited to the annals of history as just some guy who once did a bunch of cool things but was never to be seen or heard from again. Nor is he just some celestial being who exists so far removed from us that he doesn't know or understand or even care about what it means to be human. No, ours is a living God that demands our attention and our participation in every time and every place, contemplating right here and right now, who do we say that God is? And so one of the answers to that question that we explore today is this. Jesus is the one who heals. 
As we see in each of the gospel accounts, Jesus' ministry included a lot of miracles, from changing water into wine, feeding thousands of people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and even calming the stormy seas. But out of all the miracles he performed, the vast majority involved a healing of some sort. And in our passage for the day, we get a, a bird's eye view of two such miracles. But even that might be a generous description of how close we as modern readers get to these ancient events. Because let's be honest, these texts leave a lot to the imagination. There is a lot we are left to assume, to wrestle with, and wonder about. But that's actually my favorite part of scripture. That's where we get to play. I was lucky enough to read this passage in its entirety with three different groups of people this past week. First, with the worship planning team. Second, with the entire staff. And third, with many of you who gathered here on campus for this week's Lunch and Lent. With each group, we started by reading the passage aloud and then sharing our observations, our questions, and our issues with the text. And each conversation was unique, spotlighting a different aspect of the story, exploring a different angle of the characters. Here are some of the fascinating reflections that emerged from these discussions. With the first miracle, the healing of the official son, we find Jesus back in Galilee, a place that welcomed his presence. And so upon hearing that Jesus had returned, a royal official seeks out Jesus and begs him to heal his son who is on the verge of death. But as each group noted, instead of sympathizing with the poor man or just performing the miracle on the spot, Jesus laments, he sighs, he maybe even shakes his head as he says, oh, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the man is undeterred and again begs Jesus to heal his son. As one staff member noted, twice this terrified father has to be appeal on behalf of his dying child twice he has to ask for help but then just like that quickly easily effortlessly Jesus heals the man's son who isn't even in his vicinity but a good 17 miles away in Capernaum a miracle so powerful you would have to see it to believe it but the official and his family did and thus they believed and so from Galilee, we travel with Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem, the occasion, the festival of the Jews, the location, a pool known for its healing powers, and the characters, a crowd of ailing and debilitated individuals just waiting for the waters to stir so they can get their miracle. And yet for reasons we don't know, Jesus zeroes in on one particular individual, a man who has been debilitated for 38 years years and asks him point blank do you want to be made well a seemingly stupid and obvious question given the context but as we know full well nothing Jesus does is ever stupid or obvious because it's the man's response that is the most surprising 
Some noted that the man seemed defensive, like, yes, I want to be made well, but no one will help me. While others noted a tone of sorrow, like, yes, I want to be made well, but no one will help me. Either way, the answer is the same. Yes, but. And yet, without waiting for an affirmative answer, without waiting for consent, Jesus heals the man and then disappears, only to return later to remind him of his healing, to remind him that he can walk, to remind him not to sin anymore. Then with Jesus' identity confirmed, the man goes on to give his name to those who would plot his death. Two very different miracles two di very different healings, two very different situations involving two very different individuals with two very different reactions. And yet I imagine that both of their answers to our question for the day would be the same. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who heals. But as our scripture shows us, as each of the groups I met with this week also affirmed, these healings are not simple or logical or even desirable according to our human standards, our human economy. In these two disparate accounts, the clearest common conclusion is that Jesus does indeed have the power to heal. Near Far, illness, disability, young, old, willing, unwilling, his power knows no bounds. But that is where all sense of rationality ends. Because Jesus doesn't perform these miracles according to any criteria that we would create for ourselves. Jesus doesn't hand out healings like prizes to those who have the right answer or believe the right thing. He doesn't rank his candidates for healings based on those who have been sick the longest or have the most compelling case or petitioned the hardest. And most confounding of all, Jesus doesn't heal every ailing person who crosses his path. And just like that, today's answer to our basic question becomes complicated. Because as it turns out, Jesus is more than just the one who has the power to heal. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who wants us to be healed. Jesus is the one who wants us to be made well. As we see in John 4 and 5, Jesus doesn't perform miracles as a show of power or strength. He's not seeking fame or glory. He's not collecting signatures or lobbying for votes. And everything he did during his life on earth, Jesus was pointing towards God's holy vision for humanity. One that was made fully known to us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that vision doesn't stop with just Jesus just doing a bunch of cool things, saying, ta-da, only to disappear after the miracle is performed. That vision calls us to take up our mats and walk, to remember that we are healed, and from that place to go and sin no more. In the same way that Jesus turned the question of his identity on his disciples by asking them, who do you say that I am? Jesus turns the question of his power onto the powerless by asking us, do you want to be made well? 
And yet so often, like the man at the pool, we hesitate, we waver, we doubt. Yes, but, yes, but I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. Yes, but people keep stepping in front of me in line. Yes, but we've been in a pandemic for the past two years. Yes, but we've been in a season of transition for the past 10 years. Yes, but the things that divide us outweigh the things that unite us. Yes, but it's too much work trying to see where they are coming from. Yes, but you have no idea what I have been through. Yes, but nothing's ever going to get better in this lifetime, so let's just wait for the next. Yes, but this is how things have always been done. Yes, but I don't know what this means for me in my future. Yes, but that requires me actually giving something up. Yes, but first, why don't we put this to a discussion, send this to committee, and then make a motion for a vote. Yes, but what if it is too hard? What if I fail? What if I fall? What if I'm wrong? What if the same thing happens again? What if I can't control the outcome? What if I get hurt again? What if I end up in this alone? Yes, Jesus, I want to be made well. But all I know is how to be sick. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't wait for us to be ready or worthy or even willing to offer us healing. Jesus doesn't require us to recite the right confession of faith or to be in the right place at the right time to offer us healing. Jesus doesn't even need to get props or credit to offer us healing. He's going to do it anyways, even if it costs him his life. And if that is the kind of God we worship, if that is the kind of God that we claim, if that is the kind of God that we choose to follow, who wouldn't want to pick up their mat and walk? So what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Because right outside our doors and right inside this place is a world in need of a God who heals, not for his sake, but for ours. That is why we love and worship and follow this man we call Jesus, this God we call Jesus. But that also means that our witness as people of faith is simple. We are called to pick up our mats and walk from the pools of Bethzatha and into a world in need of healing in the face of war, we must walk as those who would fight for peace. In the face of bigotry in all of its insidious forms, we must walk as those who see people, speak up for people, and love people as they are. In the face of scarcity, we must walk as those who have tasted abundance. In the face of fear, we must walk as those who have faith in God's plan over ours. In the face of the great unknown, we must walk as those who believe the best is indeed yet to come. And friends, in the face of sickness of body and soul and mind, we must walk as those who have been healed by the Son of the living God. Why? Because we have. All thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.